Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. You're listening to RTE Radio 1. Drama on One is offered as a podcast at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. And of course here on RTE Radio 1 on Sunday nights. Shakespeare says that all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Jake's in As You Like It outlines the parts men play as they cycle through the seven stages and ages in their lives. Infancy, the whining schoolboy, the lover, the soldier, the justice, the lean and slippered pantaloon and eventually into second childishness. Back in 2004, RTE Drama on One invited writers Maeve Binchy, Aidan Matthews, Paula Meehan, Mannix Flynn and John Banville to respond to The Seven Ages of Man. Tonight, we continue those reflections with Patrick McCabe's take on The Justice. Muhammad Finds the London of 2003 mirrors the one that greeted Paddy in 1973. Both are men from God knows where, facing nothing but the same old story. The Time of the Hurry, starring Stephen Ray, is introduced now by Patrick McCabe. Into our town land on a night of snow rode a man from God knows where. Nobody bade him stay or go, nor deemed him friend, nor damned him foe. But we stabled his big roan mare. For in our town land we're decent folk. And we sat till the fire burned low. It was 1973. I left the town land to turn my back forever on history. In a Soho street, the genial Bobby loomed. Have you any identification, he said. It doesn't help being Irish over here these days. Thirty years later on Oxford Street, a young Muslim man averted his cowed eyes, squirming, shamed and hostile in equal measure. Patrick and Mohammed, Shamrock and Sand. The crowd swims by. Civil liberties is a whisper. Masked by a cold cupped hand, shuffling hunted through the alley. In the time of the hurry we had no lead. The attacks have sharpened our collective sense of unpredictability. Irony is dead. The frightened face at the window, its name is democracy. It knows that it depends on justice. But does justice know it? For the man they hanged in Downpatrick Jail was the man from God knows where. You haven't a clue, Carrigan. You just don't know what it's like for us Northerners. Do you hear me, you free state asshole? You've never done nothing for us. Yes, I hear you. Sure, I heard him. Loud and clear. Hard not to. I'm not proud of it. But he kept on and on. Till I could stand it no more. Hello, Paddington Police Station. I think I have some information that might be of use to you. I think there's a terrorist in the squat. And your name, please? That doesn't matter. No, I'm not proud. But it was 1973. That was the time of the hurry. That was the way things were. There weren't any rules. The old rules were over. 
I've done nothing. I've done nothing. Get your hands off me. Get in the wagon. British justice. So this is your British justice, isn't it? These are odd and hair-raising times, my friend. You do well to keep your mouth shut. Michael McKinney, you are hereby sentenced to 20 years imprisonment for conspiracy to cause explosions. It was you, Cargan. You're the type. Take him away. In the time of the hurry we had no lead, we all of us fought with the rest. And if e'er a one shook like a trembling reed... We shook, all right, but we tried not to show it. Everyone did. The streets were empty. We went home early. This is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grave. And you say you found this tape by the bed officer? Yes, Inspector. He obviously wanted us to see it. He's even gone into the trouble of labelling it. In the time of the hurry. By Emmett Corrigan. Who made the call? The old lady next door. She reported the smell. Three days he's been there. We know the three of them were staying here. They came in last week from the Lebanon. No! I promise you, you are making a mistake. Now you're telling me my job. Don't tell me my job, raghead. What's going on out there? Muslims. Another call came through just after you left. Charming. Let it run, officer. We present... In the time of the hurry, this week's episode in our Scales of Justice series, narrated by myself, Mr. Edgar Lustgarten. I used to watch him as a boy, in the Odeon in Muswell Hill, Edgar Lustgarten. Well, well. To begin at the beginning, in Bali Fuqua's turn in the county of Splodge, yes, in the beginning it was definitely good. It was the time of departure, the time to go. I'll be off to London, I thought to myself. Off I'll go and never come back. Goodbye, cows, I said. Mangy streets, farewell. Up your arse, may they happily go, and the rest of this miserable country too. Goodbye, Daddy. Goodbye, Mammy. Goodbye, all the other kiddies. I hope you die. I met some very good friends indeed. They were really quite jolly fellows. They wore zigzag tops and half-mast jeans. The first day I arrived off the boat, Harrods blew up and somewhere else. Two cops stopped me and said to me, Hello, hello. I gave them an envelope with the old man's name on it. They weren't too happy with that, they said. You could get into a lot of trouble over here. You know what I mean? Hair-raising times. I was drunk as a monkey all the way over. I drank a few pints with an old lad, sported a face like a ripe tomato. Tipperary all the way, he said. In my joy jail one Monday morning, high upon the gallows tree, Kevin Barry gave his young life for the cause of liberty. <coughs> Off I went in the direction of Piccadilly. I turned a corner and there it was. The big winking sign that read Chinzano. I stood there looking at it truly mesmerized. The reason for that was it was on our mantelpiece at home, you see. As a matter of fact, it was the very last thing I happened to lay eyes on. I had expected the entire town to turn out to witness my departure. They didn't. 
It was quite an uneventful leave-taking, I'm afraid. I just pulled the door after me, and who comes flying down off the fanlight? Yes, His Holiness, the Infant of Prague. For the benefit of English people who never go to Mass... Stop it there. What's that he just said? Rewind it. For the benefit of English people who never go to Mass, the Infant of Prague is a holy young boy who stands guard over doors with a sparkling golden crown and a scepter in his hand. Sadly, on this occasion, his head had got broken off, which upset Mammy because she loved him so. Don't come back, I heard her shouting. Then I saw Daddy glaring from the shadows. Don't worry, I told him, you'll be able to give her a proper kicking now. Daddy had always been very fond of football, especially whenever the ball was mammy. He particularly liked the game at the weekend. And maybe if he'd the money after the pub on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. I went into this great big neon lit shop. The rubber girl, she'll never say no. A woman in a mask was belting the arse off a gent. I'll teach you some manners, she says, and she means it. Oh no, he says, please don't do it, but do it. That would keep me warm, I thought, as I retired to my chambers along the banks of the Thames. I thought of them moping back at home with my turf-moulded fellow compatriots. By now they would have realised my feather bed had not been slept in, and a great consternation would take hold in the Midlands. Little would those garmless fools know just what the true nature of my visit to London was to be. Scales of Justice, starring Emmett Corrigan. In British Empire in the dock, when at last perfidious Albion pays the price for her untold crimes against the peoples of hard done by green nations. I lovingly stroked the butt of the Smith & Wesson which lay nestled deep in the pocket of my jacket. My shiny jacket of soft black leather. Standard issue terrorist fare perhaps, but comfortable and stylish nonetheless. What the well-dressed volunteer is wearing this autumn. Get out of the car, I heard myself say. I'm requisitioning this vehicle on behalf of the Irish Republican Army. One shot, Corrigan, they call me friend. For one shot is all it's going to take. There was a big fat moon sprouting from the gasworks, looking like the loveliest floaty balloon. The old man knew a song about that moon. I remembered it well. It went, When the harvest moon is shining, Molly dear... Once I had heard him singing it to the old lady one night in the kitchen not long after Christmas. But I had no time for thinking. I had to find a job. So there I am, puff, puff on the train all the way out to Epsom in Surrey. What a spot that turned out to be. A hotel or a club for the goutiest of gouty colonels. How many Jimmy Edwards moustaches can you fit in one club? You're not very fond of work, says the boss. He had caught me sleeping under boxes in the fridge. It seems quite extraordinary, but you don't appear ashamed in any way. Get out, he says, and don't come back. Don't worry, I thought. You'll pay. You and all the rest of the suave-tongued tyrants. All these dicky-bowed despots hanging peasants from gates. By the time I got back to London, I was edgy and tired.
Outside a wimpy, a woman with blood streaming down her face was being led away by a man in a raincoat. For no reason at all, I stood there for a minute looking in the window of a telly rental shop, and there on the screen is this fella saying, I was just coming out of my office when I heard the most frightful bang. The policemen were still shouting, Will you please clear the area? All of the pubs were closing their doors. I heard someone running past shouting, Murdering bastards! I hid my face and found a hostel. The Corrigan Conundrum was the name of my book, the book I had invented to get myself to sleep, adapted by me for the shining silver screen. Who was on the cover? I was. Emmett Corrigan of Cavan Town. An old-timer asked me, did I know what time it was? Did I want to know what time it really was, not what time it seemed to be? What time is it then? I asked him, although I wasn't sure I wanted to hear. It's the time of the hurry, my friend, a time when the knowns become unknown, when imagined enemies haunt the alleys, when the eyes of the justice are more severe now than ever, but they're not his eyes. Old saws have for certitudes been exchanged. They've taken his eyes and he now sees with theirs. It's the time of the hurry, son, the time of the fear. When democracies die behind closed doors, maybe it's expired already. That's what he said. It seemed to take a lot out of him, for later on I heard him crying, sobbing like an infant, all crouched like a fetus, sobbing about his mama and a girl he'd once known. I didn't think grown men did things like that. That got me thinking about my and dad. I could see the two of them, him just standing, with his hand gripped in hers. They were dressed in the clothes of the old-time photos. It was a dance hall of the past, from the 40s or maybe the early 50s. It was called the Palais, with its string of lights above the queue, how young they seemed. To look at them all, you'd think they'd won the pools. I could see it all inside my mind like a slow-motion movie. Two twin palms painted beside a tropical ocean and the two of them waltzing every bit as young as the others. I love you, I heard her say. That wasn't the time of the hurry. It was the tarrying time, that's what it was when all the cars were fat and black and one ounce of tea was a feast kings dreamed of. But nonetheless, it was a place where everyone was happy because in spite of all the suffering at long, long last, the war was over. They didn't rush. They tarried in a dream. Ma was lying back in the bonnet of the car, She put her arms around him and said she wasn't worried about a single thing in the whole world. London, she whispered then. And whatever way she said it, it made the whole place build itself up before me like some truly fabulous city of stars. Songs that I had only half remembered seemed to fill themselves out now and take on an entirely new life as they threaded themselves in amongst the most magnificent white buildings of solid Portland stone. Stardust, 
she smiled. Stardust, Tommy. And now the purple dusk of twilight time steals across the meadows of my heart. When I looked again, they were standing in some anonymous part of the city and it wasn't pleasant. There was this aura of threat or unease hanging around them. I wanted it to go away, but it wouldn't. Ma was more surprised than anyone when he pushed back his cuff and punched her in the face. Will I do her scream? I'll do her scream. Ah! Will I do it again? I'll do it again. Ah! That was what it sounded like. It wasn't nice. I didn't like hearing it. I didn't like it then and I still don't like it now. Would you like to hear it again? Very well, then I'll do it one more time. Ah! The more I got to thinking about it, the more I found I wanted vengeance. I sat down for a bit in Soho Square Gardens. There was a newspaper lying beside me on the front page a photo fit of a terrorist bomber. With his long hair and sideburns, he looked the image of me. I needed the dark and I needed a womb. I went into a cinema and could not believe my eyes for there was Edgar up on the screen. Scales of Justice presents Edgar Lustgarten in The Candlelight Murders. But I was so exhausted Edgar wasn't what I heard or saw. The Justice, Shakespeare tells us, possesses eyes severe and beard of formal cut. Tonight we investigate what is called a crime of passion in which a small-town Irishman uses his wife like a football for sport. Scales of Justice presents Take That, You Bitch, with Tommy Corrigan as Emmett's father and his wife Josephine as the human football. I had to get out. All I kept thinking of was vengeance and justice. Who had ever shown me justice? What had I done to deserve all that? I was glad I had shot McKinney. I'd do it again. Somebody had to pay. Vengeance is mine, says the heart, torn in pieces. I went into a wimpy and had some tea. My hands were blue and I was shivering. I was too young to die, but I wouldn't have minded. However, I didn't die, I mean. I think one of the most wonderful days was Boxing Day three years ago. It had been snowing constantly and the city looked like something out of a fairy tale, as though it had been evacuated, especially for me. On Trafalgar Square, the lions appeared even more august than usual, with their mandarin moustaches of dusty white ice. Starched and blue, Soho did my heart good. In the gutters, even sweet rappers seemed to possess a special kind of poetry. It was like being a child all over again when I'd walk the roads of that little country town which I haven't been back to for very many years. I'm looked after here in London now. I've long since accepted this country as my home. I have a flat the council gave me down Aldgate Way. 
When I was tidying up my things, I came across my 70s diary. bit of my book remained in there with its revised title, The Corrigan Conundrum Had Become The Hampstead Conclusion. A brave Irish adolescent brings the empire to its knees. What he must have been thinking the night he found me there, I can only imagine. He was, in fact, an army brigadier, but that was quite by chance, formerly with the Africa Corps. What must he have thought when he returned from the theatre to his home in Hampstead and found a certain one-shot Corrigan sitting there in the fireside chair, helping himself to his brandy and resting on his lap the crudest piece of badly carved wood? What was that, do I hear you ask? Why, his standard issue, Smith & Wesson, of course. What I wanted was to get myself arrested. I guess I was still guilty over shopping McKinney, but my proud Emmett cry still echoes down the raft of years. Vengeance be Jesus, you're the scourge of the Republic. Tonight, here in Hampstead, Emmett's epitaph shall be written. It didn't seem to bother him in the slightest. I think he even asked me for a glass of brandy. So you're the young messiah then, are you? He said, where did you learn all those fine and noble words? That was enough. I lunged at the hated enemy. Let no man write my epitaph, for as no man who knows my motives dare now vindicate them. When my country takes her place among the nations of the earth, then and only then, ah! Brigadier Urquhart was, I suppose, a younger version of Edgar Lustgarten, every bit as unflappable, too. Within seconds, he had me pinned against the wall, going, such an excitable boy, tossing my Smith and Wesson into the bin. I encountered him years later, after my discharge from Brixton Prison. The snow had passed, and the gutters of Soho had been rinsed clean by a deluge of rain. He was sitting by the window of a new European-style coffee bar surrounded by chatting white t-shirted youths and looking so, so out of place. It was hard for me to do it, but I was glad afterwards that I'd made the effort, I guess. At first he didn't recognise me when I said his name, Duncan Urquhart. We didn't talk much about the Hampstead conclusion. His soul was too saddened by the recent passing of his wife. She was an angel. You know, she really was. When I was in North Africa, I used to write to her every day. I thought of him in the photo on their mantelpiece, Brigadier Duncan Urquhart, authoritatively squinting in the Egreb sun. I don't know why it should have come into my mind but I could see it clear, this image of myself and him sitting so comfortably in a London black cab, gliding along before coming to a halt just outside a dance hall whose entrance was lit by a string of warm, multicoloured bulbs. Stardust, they read, like some waltzing nighttime rainbow, stardust lighting up the countryside for miles. I hadn't been allowed out of Brixton for the funeral of my mother, but after my father went into the home, all his papers and effects had been passed on to me. You can imagine my reaction when I found the old shellac disc with Nat King coal and gold lettering across the front. Her and me were all I ever cared about, I heard Duncan saying. 
that woman who'd been with me for fifty-odd years. I don't give a curse for king or empire, son. When you get older, maybe you'll understand that. I don't think the brigadier devil wanted me charged. Certainly not with terrorist offences, with which some spurious link had been made, thanks to the fact that some weeks before the trial, three cleaning ladies, a hotel porter and a tourist had been blown to pieces in a restaurant. I believe in justice, son, he said, and no purpose will be served by sending you to jail. Fear has justice in its pocket these days. I've seen it before and I'll see it again. If I live, that is, although I don't know now if I really can be bothered. Not since my angel was taken away. In these, the latter days of the 90s, I largely subsist on the dole and the occasional odd job. It can get lonely sometimes, and when it does, I'll often make my way down to the South Bank. Sit there, feeding the pigeons, surrounded by clamorous, insatiable, supremacist youth, whose blind faith in the future I need to be near. Among the personal effects forwarded to me after my father's death was this letter to her written in 1949. Dear Josie, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you well as it leaves me. Well, since we last met, things have not been so bad as you can imagine. Things are busy here on the farm. I hope to be back up your way in about three or four months' time, D.V., and I was wondering, would you make an appointment with me? I would be very grateful. Please, God, we'll meet again to tarry a little while longer. Anyway, I will sign off now, Josie, and I hope you are in the best of health since I've seen you. Yours truly for now, your, your fond, fond friend, friend Tommy, Tommy Corrigan, Anna Kelly. I came across the notice of Duncan's death quite by accident in the Times. I don't know why I went to the funeral. Some vague desire for closure, maybe. I didn't know anyone there. I made this tape last night and whoever finds it, I hope they can make some sense of it. I like to think of it as a sort of amateur radio production. It's called The Time of the Hurry because that old familiar feeling has recently returned. I don't care much for countries now. It's like I belong nowhere. But if I did, if there was a country, I know now what its anthem would be. As well as that, I know who'd sing it. My stardust melody The memory of love's refrain It's a beautiful song, isn't it? Nat King Cole. My father sang it. My father fought in Africa too, you know. Believe it or not, in a greb. Really, Inspector? Quite a coincidence. You try that again, you'll find yourself disappearing along with your other Al-Qaeda friends. That's it then. Well, 
Let's get going. Very well, officer. I'll send someone down to do an inventory of all this stuff. Yes, sir. Josie. Yes, Tommy? I love you. Will you tarry with me just another wee while? I'd tarry with you forever, Tommy Corrigan. With someone like you, I'd gladly tarry forever. My stardust melody The memory of love's refrain That was Stephen Ray in The Time of the Hurry, Patrick McCabe's take on The Justice. Other parts were played by Michael James Ford, Mark O'Regan, Hope Brown, Carl O'Neill and Kevin Flood. The producer was Aidan Matthews.